The Spirit of God is here, and when we worship Him, certain things open up, certain doors unlock in ourselves. And so when you begin to worship God, all of those things you brought in with you begin to fall off of you. And you know, it, there's no easier way to receive the Word of God than from a, a pure and sincere heart that's not burdened down with all the affairs of life. It's not burdened down with all the thorns that have crowded out the Word. So when we worship God and all that stuff falls off, it's a good time to get the Word. It's a real good time to get the Word. So if you stick around at the end, we'll give you a couple announcements um, that I believe are going to excite you and, and uh, they'll be good things. But for right now, I'd love for you to turn in your Bibles where to start. Let's start in the book of 1 Corinthians, if we could. Praise God. We went in a different direction this morning than we intended, and that's, that's always good, isn't it? Every now and then, that's not always good. <laughs> I'm not one of those people that believes in going in a different direction for the sake of going in a different direction. You know what I mean? Just like saying, well, let's just do it different just because we've been doing it the same way. I, I think that everything should have its purpose and everything should have its reason. Um, thank God for that. Amen? Praise God. I'm going to read to you from the book of 1 Corinthians, and as soon as I get there, we'll start reading. But you know you're a new creation, right? Is that a good thing? That's a happy thing? There's something about being a new creation that changes the way you think about yourself and the way you think about Jesus and the way you think about other people. And that's probably the biggest thing is thinking about other people. You know, we were... Um, as we were in um, Ontario, the uh, main cornerstone verse that we were really meditating on that whole time was in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, which, which the Apostle Paul is about to leave. He's, he's, he's saying, this is my last letter, it's my last hurrah, I'm going. And he says, he says to Timothy, he says, I want you to entrust this word to faithful men who will teach it to others also. Now, there are a couple of things in there that, that really stood out to me as we were uh, meditating on that verse. And one of the things was uh, that Paul was talking to Timothy, not just as a son, but as somebody who uh, would, would play a role in other people's lives where they might you know, look at him as a spiritual father, or spiritual role model, that he wasn't just a kid anymore, right? He's saying, I want you to entrust this, what, what you've heard, what you've seen, what you've observed, what you've been taught, entrust that to faithful men so that they may teach others also. As you notice, it says entrust it to faithful men. Anybody that's going to handle the word of God, the Bible says, the servant of the Lord, in other words, uh, you know, that's the, the word diakonos, which, which you know, ha has been used throughout the New Testament to signify different levels in ministry and different types of offices. We get a word deacon from it. But, but basically, the servant of the Lord that's handling the word of the Lord must be found faithful. Got to be faithful. You don't need to be listening to somebody who's not faithful. You know, I don't care if they're on TV and they got a great program. I don't care if the church is bigger than you've ever even been in a city that big. If they're not faithful, they're not fit. Now, we all slip. We've all had moments where we've had to repent. But faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit that you need to observe and you need to have. He says, entrust it to faithful men. Thank God, faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not a genetic trait. Do you know that? You weren't born faithful. You weren't born faithful. You at some point had to let the Holy Spirit work in your life and breed faithfulness in you. So if that's the case... That means we were all at one point unfaithful. So in order for Paul to say to Timothy, entrust this to faithful men, Timothy might know some people who didn't always seem so faithful. He might know some people that at some point were unfaithful. And he's going to have to say, are they faithful now? Have they demonstrated this fruit in their life? Because not, nobody's born faithful. Nobody's born qualified. Nobody's born fit. Everything we have, we receive from the Spirit of God by the grace of God. And you've got, I mean, that doesn't mean that faithfulness just magically comes on you when you get born again. You have to choose to let that fruit work in your life. But it will come 
If you let the Spirit reign in your life, you let the Spirit rule, you walk by the Spirit, those fruits of the Spirit will be evident. Faithfulness will be evident. You know, we've got, you know, we've got in the, in the body of Christ great teachers, great communicators, great musicians, great um, ministers of all types. And I'll tell you what I'm always looking for. I'm looking for faithfulness because there are certain things you can't fake. You can fake being a good speaker. You can be a good speaker and not have any of the spirit of God. You can, you can fake. You can, yeah, I mean, to those that aren't super spiritual, you can make everybody feel goosebumps just by the way you communicate something. You can sound great on the stage and your voice could go up and down at such the right level and the right time that everybody says, oh, the spirit's in this place, but it's the same anointing that's on Disney. It's just emotion, right? What you can't fake. You can't fake love. I'm talking about the real God kind of love. It's the one thing the world really can't fake that we do. It's the thing that Jesus said is going to prove you are my disciples. Because no one can fake that kind of love. They can fake, they can fake other kinds of love, Hollywood love, but the kind of love that lays your life down for others, you can't fake. The kind of love that's inconvenient, the kind of love that loves the unlovable, the kind of love that loves people that hate you, you can't fake that. And you can't fake faithfulness for too long. You can fake it for a little while, right? You can fake it for a little while and get, get by with it. But in, in reality, it'll show. It'll show. And, it, and if you say, I feel called to, to do something in the church, I feel called to, to, to serve in this way, I feel called to this type of ministry, then my advice to you is cultivate faithfulness. As the Bible says, cultivate faithfulness. If you can be found faithful in the little things, you'll be made ruler over much. There's no way... There's no way somebody gets behind this pulpit who wasn't willing to sweep the floor. There's no way somebody gets on that piano who wasn't willing to, if we needed them, to teach children or, or to help with the nursery. You've got to just be faithful at times. Now, I realize we're not all called to do the same thing. I've done, I think I've done every single role in the church that I can think of. I think at one point or another, I've done it. I've done nursery, I've done children's ministry, I've cleaned the church, cleaned the toilets, uh, seniors ministry, uh, all of them, music. I've, 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 so I know what you're going through. I know, I know sometimes you say, I've shoveled, I've done the lawn. I know sometimes you say, this isn't what I imagined when I said I surrender all. I thought I, thought I was going to preach in front of thousands. Why, God? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. You know, and you go through life. And, well, come on, buck up. And be faithful in what you're called to do right now. Let that come out. And I can, I can assure you, somebody can be really talented, but if they're not faithful, it's not worth it. So here's what I'm getting. I'm not really getting at faithfulness. That's not really what we're talking about. But what I want to talk to you about is being able to see people in a new light, being able to redefine how you, how you look at somebody, being able to receive them as God sees them. And so what I'm getting at here with this faithfulness thing is, is that, like I said, it's not a genetic trait. It's something that is a fruit of the Spirit. They weren't always necessarily so faithful. You have to be able to get over your history with people and realize that they are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You have to be able to get over some of the mistakes people have made. If they repented and they moved on, you need to, just, just like Jesus does, throw it in the sea of forgetfulness and move on with it. Because everybody in this room has been disqualified at some point. But thank God it's not us that qualifies us, it's Jesus that qualifies us. And as Paul said, it is, he says, I'm least fit to be called an apostle. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now let's look. Did I tell you 1 Corinthians? I meant 2 Corinthians. 2 <laughs> Corinthians chapter 5. If you turn there. You know where I'm going with this? This is a very uh, foundational verse, foundational section of Scripture. You go to verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. He died for all that they who live might no longer live for themselves. Whoa, oh, hey, wait. 
Hold up. He died for you so that you would no longer live for yourself. Wait, that's not what they told me when they called me up to the front. They sang that nice song, and I went down, and everybody was crying, and I, I said that prayer. You didn't tell me that one of the things he died for is so I wouldn't live for myself anymore. He set you free from the need to live for yourself. Here's the greatest thing. When you realize how good of a father he is, when you realize how good of a Lord you, he is, then you don't have the concern to take care of yourself. You say, put me anywhere, just like we sang. And you'll take care of me. You clothe the lilies and they're finer than Solomon. You take care of the birds and they don't plant, they don't reap, and you take care of them. So if you're thinking, I need to do my own thing, I need to live for myself, you haven't realized that he died for you. So you wouldn't have to spend the rest of your life trying to take care of yourself. He died for you so you wouldn't have to be looking out for number one. Somebody, somebody might look at this and say, I'm not allowed to look out for number one. Well, that's part of it. But I'm going to tell you, you don't have to. You know who has to look out for number one? The guy who's got no one else looking out for them. You have to take care of yourself if no one's taking care of you. But thank God you have a Savior. Thank God you've got a Lord. Thank God you've got a Father. And he says, don't worry about these things. I'll take care of it. Seek first my kingdom, and I'll add these things. But don't you spend all your time thinking about your life. You spend your time thinking about the kingdom, thinking about me, and I'll take care of all this stuff. Our son, little Moses, he's not at home stressed out about his next meal, how he's going to make it, how he's going to buy it. He knows, I don't have a job. I need to get one. I can't keep bumming off these guys. I know i got to... I can't sleep. I'm trying to think of like, when am I going <laughs> to, how am I going to pay for the next meal? I'm living from paycheck to paycheck and I don't even get a paycheck. <laughs> you know, he's not thinking about that. Why? Because he's got us. And he trusts us. He doesn't know a lot about us, but he trusts us. And he figures, you know what, when I'm hungry, that lady seems to come around and feed me something. Somehow I get food in my belly. If I, and if they don't do it in time, I'll make a little noise and they'll come. You know, and it's such a wonderful thing to trust. If you're trying to live for yourself, you are showing that you don't fully trust God. I don't fully trust you to take care of me. I need to do some of this myself. But that's not the case. He says he died for you. So that they who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again for himself? No. It says who died and rose again on their behalf. Isn't that awesome? Jesus didn't die and rise again for him. He did it for you. Has he not proven himself yet? I think he has. So here it says, oh man, we could get stuck there for a while. We should not. We should push on. Therefore, from now on, listen, be, from now on, because of that, from now on. Now, is there an end point to that? Are there exceptions? Do there appear to be loopholes? No. Therefore, from now, which means from the moment, we just read this, from the moment you got born again, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. So we no longer think of Jesus as a man, just another guy. We know he was divine, the Son of God, the Word become flesh, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's who he is. And in the same way that we just don't say Jesus was just a good teacher, a good man, We've got to look past people's humanity and see God in them, see Christ in them. The Bible says in Colossians 3 that now we look at each other and there's no distinction because Christ is in all and Christ is all. Thank God. So when you get born again, you see a new creation. You don't just see who they used to be. You don't just see their flaws. You don't just see their limitations. You don't just see who they physically are. You see who God made them to be. And it says here that we recognize them no longer according to the flesh. He says in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. He or she is a new created being. The old things have passed away. 
Behold, that means look at this, stare at this for a while, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Thank God he gave us his ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And he has committed to us, or sorry, not counting the trespasses against him, and he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. So here he says, if anyone, we're not going to judge anyone after the flesh anymore. I may have known you in high school. I'm not going to think about you that way anymore. I may have known you last week, and I've got to get over that. Because there, I mean, I'm not saying that, that you know, we have this moment where, you know, he points something at our face and we just forget everything. You do remember. You, you realize that as much as we say forgive and forget, your brain doesn't work that way. Right? Honestly. Now, under our understanding of, of Jesus, of God, has sometimes been interesting. You may have heard it preached, well, um, you know, well, God, he has absolutely no recollection of anything wrong you've done. Well, and there's a, there's a degree of truth to that because he, he threw it in the sea of forgetfulness. He said, I will remember your sins no more, right? But then, you know, if that were the case that he just hadn't, that he couldn't pull on his memory and, and remember that somebody sinned, he, he'd get a revelation every time he read the Bible. Oh, man, again. I keep forgetting that Paul did that. Again, ah, oh, I forgot it again. Ah, you know, it'd be like, be like this goldfish memory where every time he comes around, he's freaked out again. I remember, I remember saying to my friend, I had a friend who worked in a, in a pet store, and I said, that isn't the coolest thing, those goldfish, they can be in a, a small little tank, and they just constantly, their memory is so short, they constantly just think they're in New Ocean all the time. And that's just wonderful. I said, what a wonderful way to live for them. You know, if they can't be in the ocean, at least they think they are. You know, they oh, wow, I've never, this is beautiful. I, and, but my friend, you see, while I'm the optimist, my friend was a bit of a pessimist, and he said, yeah, but when they... Yeah, but when they're dying, they think they've been dying all their life, you know? <laughs> it's like, man, that's a dark way to look at it, dude. <laughs> God is not, you know, brain damaged, and he just can't recall that Moses ever did anything wrong. But he will never bring it up. And to him, it's not relevant. To him, it's been separated. To him, the, the punishment for it, the payment for it, the sin itself has been placed on Jesus and it is no longer on your record, and he will never bring it up again. He'll never bring it up against you. You will never be accused with it. Thank God. So, you still have a brain that still remembers that people did stupid things. And you still remember that last time I trusted this person, here's what happened. Anybody ever had a moment like that where you want to trust somebody, but you're like, last time I did... Whether it's something so small as lending them a book and you never got it back, to somebody was supposed to show up and pick you up and they never showed up, to something bigger than that. Last time you told them something personal and private, they went and told somebody else. There's nothing wrong with being educated and being wise. Saying, hey, maybe I don't tell them everything. <laughs> but you have to learn to move past that. You have to learn to move past history and, and realize that that person has probably, hopefully, come a long way. If they haven't, then the Bible says, with gentleness, restore such a one. If they're not there yet, restore them. If they're not that, help them get to where they need to be. And once they're there, once they've repented and moved on, and repented doesn't mean that they spent two hours crying at the altar. Repented doesn't mean that they spent, they stained your shoes with their tears. Repentance means they turned, they changed, they had a shift, and they moved away from it. And once they've done that, you have the same obligation to them that Jesus did for you, which is wipe the slate clean and move on. Because there are going to be people in your life that God wants to use and relationships that God wants to use together. And if you can't move past who they used to be, they won't be who they're supposed to be in your life. I sometimes look back at my junior high version of myself, and I cringe. Because sometimes I was just such a doofus. I just I thought I was so cool. I wasn't. 
And there's some things that are just like nerd moments. You're like, I can't believe I said that in front of people. <laughs> and there's other times where you say, boy, I could have stood up for somebody then. Boy, I could have stood up for Jesus then. I backed off. And you're, sh- you're a little bit ashamed of that. And so my wife, you know, decided she stayed off Facebook for a very long time. And I'm not telling you you need to be on or off Facebook. But she stayed off of it for a very long time because she just said, what, what's the point? I don't need that. And then, you know, the Lord began to talk to her about just using it just as a ministry sort of thing. So when she first started Facebook, all she'd do was just, just scriptures and things that we had heard in the sermons and the church, you know, what God had been saying, and she just put it out there. And the thing is, she started finding high school friends and befriending them. I'm like, what are you doing? Leave those people alone. I mean, just, you know, for me, I don't want to go back there. Not that I was a bad person, but it's just like that's a season of my life. I'm a different person now. And somehow those people that haven't seen you since junior high, they don't know how much you've grown. You're stuck in that little version of yourself with them. You're stuck there so often. I mean, they, if you ever notice people grow up until they get around their high school friends and then they just get stupid again and they just start <laughs> joking together. And you're like, who are you? They start talking all, you know, gangster or something. I mean, it's just like, who is this person? Or they sound like a valley girl all of a sudden. What's going on? Well, sometimes you freeze people in a certain time. You freeze them who they used to be. Um, you know, it's, it's something you got to get over in life. I mean, some of you may have known me when I was a little kid. I hope you've been able to move past that. Or else it's going to be real hard to get anything out of this sermon. <laughs> You're just thinking all the stupid things I did when I was five. I sometimes ask Jesus, I'm like, wait, you're the dude who said a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown. Is this a joke? Because the two churches you put me in are the only two places I've ever lived. ha, <laughs> Prank over. What's the deal? Thank God the grace of God has been on us and you to be able to move past childhood and move on to bigger things. And you've got to be able to do that. And he says, we're not going to recognize anyone after the flesh any longer. We, and, and, and that includes you. You've got to stop recognizing yourself according to the flesh because you are your, often your own worst critic and you know all the mistakes you made. And when, when everybody else thinks you're so shiny and so perfect, you go home and remember all the things you did wrong. And the accuser would love to spend your afternoon telling you how bad you are. And you go and you say, well, they think I did a good job. I mean, I remember as a musician, it's a big thing as a musician. We were always taught, both in, in I remember being in band in school and being on praise and worship team, if you mess up, right, Chance? If you mess up, don't let anyone know you messed up. Just keep going, right? Just keep smiling. I'm not saying Chance messes up. He's just, he can affirm this is what happens. Don't let on because, you know, you always have that guy who's, who's just doing great and he does something that no one hears but his face. Oh, his face shows it. You know, and you can tell, oh, he messed up. I don't know what he did, but he messed up. It's all over him. So we were taught, don't just keep playing, just keep going. I had a friend in school who played the tuba. And if he made the smallest mistake, he'd get frustrated and stop playing. And we would have to, there, there'd be these moments where we had to go through these tests and you had to play a certain song. It took like half an hour for this guy to get through a, a, you know, a two-minute song because he kept stopping every time he messed up. Well, we learned to, to just not let on and just keep playing. So I remember when I started out playing music on the praise and worship team, I'd go home and think, oh, all the spots I messed up. I'd know... But I'd have people say, oh, wow, you did so great today. Man, that was perfect. And I'd say, I messed up a lot. Well, I didn't notice. I broke a string. I didn't notice. You know? So you had other people thinking you were great, but you went home and you were criticizing yourself and saying, oh, I could have done this and I could have done that. But you know what? Get over it. Because as much as you are familiar with your own humanity, you have to embrace the fact that you're a new creature too. And I'm not going to recognize myself according to the flesh anymore. I'm not going to think of myself as limited as I always have. I'm not going to think of myself the way I used to always think of myself. I'm going to move on and see what Jesus sees in me. 
I'm going to move on and see what he died to put in me. Because it's worth it. It's worth it. I'm worth it because he said I was worth it. He paid for me with his life. I must be worth something. In the book, let's see where to go here. You guys know in the book of Malachi, you remember the last words that were ever spoken before Jesus came as far as Scripture, the last prophetic words that were spoken were the last part of Malachi. In fact, let's read it real quick. He makes a, makes a, a prediction. He, the, the Lord tells you what's going to happen and um, tells him about the great day of the Lord, t- talks about the Messiah. And here, in this last part of Malachi, this set the tone for what a lot of people in the Jewish world, when Jesus came, what they were looking for and what they were expecting. Because in the end of Malachi, he leaves them with hope. And he says, behold, in verse 5, Malachi 4, 5, He says, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now, you've got to know terrible in our current vernacular is always a bad thing. But, for instance, Ivan the Terrible, he sounds like a bad guy, huh? But to them at the time, they called him Ivan the Terrible. That wasn't a bad thing. It just meant he was great, like awesome. Isn't it funny that we say awesome? Some awe is good, but awful is bad. I got some awe. Well, that's good. I'm full of awe. It's awful. The same way terrible just meant great, huge, mighty. It wasn't necessarily like, like you should be scared of it. Although, you know, if you read some of those prophets, maybe some people were. But he says, behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. So throughout this time that they're waiting for the Messiah, they're also waiting for Elijah. So much so that when Jesus came, they kept, one of the things they brought up to him several times was, you can't be the Messiah because Elijah hasn't come yet. There's a moment where Peter, James, and John go up to a top of a mountain with Jesus, and they're hanging out, and they get sleepy. They always get sleepy at these big moments, right? And then they start to wake up, and they're like, wait, are you, are, am I the only one seeing this? Are we all seeing this at the same time? Because it looks like Moses and Elijah are talking with Jesus. They see this moment where Moses, Elijah, and Jesus are having a chat. How they knew it was Moses and Elijah, I don't know. I don't know if they were wearing their jerseys with the names on the back or, or what. But they knew. That's Moses. That's Elijah. They're talking to Jesus. Shh. Shut up. Shut up. Didn't have an iPhone to record it or anything. Like, oh, man, this is big. So they see that. And as they're... As they're going down the mountain afterwards, one of them brings this up. And he says, you know, why do they keep saying that Elijah's supposed to come before you? Like, before the Messiah comes, Elijah's supposed to come. And Jesus says, well, it's true. But he says, here's the deal. Elijah did come. And they treated him just as bad as they treated him the first time. Now you go, wait a second. I don't remember this in the Bible. I don't remember Elijah showing up. But you remember when John the Baptist, before he was born, his father prophesied over him. Sorry, after he was born, right when he was born. His father prophesied about him and said he'd be the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. He said he would go in the power and the spirit of Elijah. He would turn the hearts of the children to the fathers and the fathers to the children. In other words, John, you're playing the role of Elijah doesn't mean Elijah came back and possessed his body. He says, no, the spirit that was on Elijah, it was on John. 
So when God said Elijah's going to come again, he didn't say, I'm going to throw this guy back into a body. I'm going to resurrect a corpse and send him amongst you. No, he just says that that same spirit that was on Elijah, I'm going to send back and he'll prepare the way of the Lord. Well, when John is confronted with this information, not this information, but when someone says, who are you anyways? He had a group of people saying, like, who are you supposed to be? That's a big question, isn't it? And they said, are you the Christ? He said, no. They said, are you Elijah? Listen to what he says. No. You see, God knew something about him that he didn't even know about himself. Are you Elijah? No. And they said, well, who are you? He said, I'm the voice. Crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. That's all he knew. That's what he knew, and so that's what he said. And yet he denied that he was the one that was going to prepare the way. He denied that he was Elijah. But watch what Jesus says in the book of Mark. Oh, I'm sorry, book of Matthew. <laughs> I don't want to make this a bad habit of giving you the wrong chapter, wrong book. Matthew 11. <clears throat> Let me give you some background of this because for the sake of time, I won't read all of it. But in Matthew 11, John has been put in prison. The reason he's been put in prison is because he was just the kind of guy that got invited to dinner with the king and didn't use good manners. By not good manners, I'm telling you, he went and the king had taken, I'm sorry, uh, King had taken a wife that was actually his brother's wife. He said, "This you can't do this. This is wrong. You know, have you ever, ever thought about what you'd say if you were invited to dinner with the prime minister? Would you spend that time saying, there are issues I have, but I'm not going to bring them up now because I'm at dinner with the prime minister? If, even if you had something, if you had a problem with one of his policies or something, he'd said, you, I understand the intimidation of saying, now is not the time. I'll send a letter later. You know, I'll send an anonymous email, and he'll get it. But right now, I'm at dinner. I'm at dinner with the prime minister. I'm at dinner with the president. These are moments that you just really don't want to mess up with uh, telling them off. And, but John did this, and he says, he says you, you shouldn't be with this woman. This woman shouldn't be with you. This is wrong. This is absolutely wrong. So they throw him in prison for it because you just don't do that. They throw him in prison and John begins to question who he is. He begins to question who Jesus was. You remember the first moment that he baptized Jesus when Jesus started his ministry. John said to him, you're the one. This is the one. He told his disciples, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the guy I've been telling you about. This is the guy I've been waiting for. He's the guy I've been preparing you for. So when Jesus comes, John knows who he is. But once he gets in a hard time, he starts to question who Jesus is, and he starts to question who he is. You see, no, in prison, he's no longer saying, I'm the voice crying in the wilderness. He's saying, why did I get stuck in this prison? And they're going to kill me. And he sends his disciples to Jesus. And they said, John wants to know, are you the one? Or should we wait for another? That's not a good thing. He's so depressed, he starts to question who he is and who Jesus is. Jesus says, what have you seen? The blind have seen, the lame have walked, the dead. I mean, look at all these things. He says, doesn't this prove this is who I am? You go back and tell John. I am who you think I am. Go tell John, remember what you've seen. You've seen all these things that prove I am who I am. But then he begins to talk to the crowd about John. And instead of bashing John, like that guy, he used to be something. He instead begins to, to, to encourage them about John and begins to tell them who John was. And he says in verse 7, as these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. They say, he said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And one who is more than a prophet. 
This is the one about whom it's written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Now John has accepted this about himself, right? This is something he's told people about himself. Then Jesus goes on and says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Listen to this. And if you're willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now I want you to hear this. And this is really where we're going to come down to our big point. That Jesus says about John, here's who he is. This is all the th- these are all the things that John is. And if you're willing to accept it, he's Elijah. Now, I've got to ask you something. Whether those people believed it or not, did it change what God thought about John? Did it, thing- did it change who John really was? So why did Jesus say, if you're willing to accept it, he's Elijah? Because whether or not this is what God thinks about him, whether or not this is what he thinks about himself, in order for him to play that role in their life, they have to accept him as that. They've got to accept something that God says about him. They've got to accept something that Jesus said that they quite haven't quite got on their own. Even John didn't get. There are going to be moments in your life, many of them, where God is going to put people there and He's going to go, this is this person. If you're willing to accept it, this is who they are. Now that doesn't change who they are in God's eyes. Let me use myself as an example. Whether or not you see me as a pastor or as your pastor, that doesn't change what God thinks about me. He's not saying, well, the people have spoken, you're out. Sorry. You've been demoted. He doesn't say, you know, if we're going to take a vote, if they like you, you get to keep the title. No. I know who I am. and Nobody can change that. That's just who I am, right? That's what I was created to be. I know what I am. I know my part. I know my role. But if you can't accept me in that role, I can't be a pastor to you. And the grace of God that's on my life to pastor will do no good in your life if you can't accept me as your pastor. Right? That's not my fault. It's not God's fault. That's whether or not you're willing to accept it. We all have to accept people in our life that God says this is who they are. Are you willing to accept them as that? No, no, no. I used to know them. Because remember when Jesus went to his own hometown, he's ready to heal. Every town he's been in, he has healed everybody there. Everybody, no exceptions. That's how Jesus likes to do it, no exceptions. Every town, every village, every community, he healed every single person, cast out every demon, delivered anybody who needed it, everybody. But when he came to his own hometown, they said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We saw him grow up. We knew him as a kid. We changed his pampers, you know, whatever they had, you know, swaddling clothes on, you know. We, we, ch- we changed his diapers. We know this kid. And it says they didn't honor him, and so Jesus could do, listen to that. It doesn't say he got mad and wouldn't do it. But he could do no mighty work among them, for they didn't honor him. He said the only thing, he, he healed a few sick people. I love reading that and realizing healing a few sick people is no big deal. <laughs> says he could do no mighty work except heal a few sick people you think this is a big deal to God so he couldn't do any mighty work among them because they didn't honor them and he goes on to say a prophet is not without honor a prophet gets honor everywhere but here in his own hometown because you know what they can't get past the point they can't get past the, the fact that they knew him when, they were, when he was a kid that they knew him before he was in ministry one of the hardest things we've discovered on many of the reserves, God's doing great things in the reserves of Canada. One of the hardest things is for a guy to become a pastor in a reserve when he grew up in that reserve because the community is so tightly knit that everybody knows you. And, and one of the things is, is that 
family is so good. And I, that's one of the things I admire about our First Nations brothers and sisters is that community is so tight and family is so tight. You keep those bonds. And, but one of the hard things is, is when somebody in your family becomes pastor, it's very hard to see them as anything but that kid that you changed their diapers and you took them out and taught them how to do this and, and you know, they did something stupid and wiped their nose on your car seat or whatever. I mean, you, it's hard to get past who they were because you've known them all your life. And the people in Jesus, Jesus, like the big guy who did nothing wrong, you realize that they're not remembering bad things that Jesus did because he didn't do any bad things. Do you know he didn't sin? Jesus didn't sin even as a kid. Never sinned. Never did anything wrong. So they're not even looking at, at bad things he's done. They're just looking at his humanity. Do you realize that? That's all it took for them to throw off their honor and say, nah, don't we know this kid? What should they have done? Let's ask ourselves that. What would be the proper response? Because they can't change the fact that they knew him when he was a kid. But what should they have done? They should have received him as the Messiah and said, okay, we didn't know everything. Here's a big one. The Bible says that Jesus' own brothers didn't believe in him. His own brothers. His own brothers wouldn't believe in him. Why? Because you get too close to somebody, it's really hard to look past the humanity. It's really hard to look past the, the, just their carnal nature, who they are. It's really hard to look past the fact that they are a fleshly person, that they are somebody that, you know, doesn't look divine to me. I grew up. I, I know. I know he went to the bathroom. I know he had to sleep. How can he be the Son of God? Now, if Jesus had a hard time with people receiving him, I think we're all going to have to deal with this at some point. But here's what you have that his brothers didn't have. I mean, later on, guys, they saw Jesus resurrected. Their lives changed. They, did, they believed, and they became leaders in the church. But listen to this. If they needed something, if they couldn't receive him, you've got something they didn't have. You've got something the people of Nazareth didn't have. Here's what you have. The Holy Spirit. You have the ability to let Him reshape the way you think. You have the ability to pick up the Word and let it wash your mind. You have the ability to think differently than you've been trained to think. You've got the ability to let God reveal things to you. Because remember what He says, He who has ears to hear, let Him hear. If you'll accept it, if you'll receive it, this is Elijah. Now, if you don't receive it, it doesn't change what God thinks about John. It doesn't change who John is. But it'll change how you think about him. It'll change how you think about Jesus. It'll change how you receive the very Messiah himself. You've got to be willing to accept people as God defines them. Accept people as God has defined them. They're going to be people younger than you that get promoted into positions where they have to tell you what to do every now and then. They're going to be people older than you that you think are irrelevant. They're going to have something to say in your generation that you better be humble enough to hear and receive for who they are and receive the wisdom and the grace of God in their life even if they don't speak the lingo that you get. Even if they can't say it on Twitter, you need to get it. That's one of the things we see so often in the church is that some of the young people have no respect for the generations that came before just because they don't seem relevant. And some of the older people have a very hard time relating to the younger people because they figure they don't know anything. And so you've got to realize we are all new creatures and we've got to be humble, receive each other in humility. The Bible says, with humility of mind, regard everyone as more important than yourself. Humility of mind means get over yourself. If I'm anything good, it's because God did something in me. And when I start to think about myself that way, it's easier for me to think about Jared differently because everything good in me came from him. So if he did that in me, can't he do that in Jared? And if Jared were to someday be in authority over me, I'd have, to, I'd have to get past the point that I've been Jared's pastor and recognize that God is doing something in Jared that's going to bless me if I'll receive it. 
Because Jesus said, you mistreated Elijah when he came the first time. They mistreated him when he came the second time. He goes on to say, you're like children. Listen to this. He says in the next, in the next uh, few verses, he says, what should I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to the other children and say, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge. That's a very sad, like a funeral song. And you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. So what they're saying, what he's saying is, you know what the problem with you guys is? In hindsight, you love Elijah. In hindsight, you love Moses. But when he comes, you don't receive him. He said, you mistreated Elijah, you mistreated Moses, you mistreated all the prophets, you killed them. And then you come back and say, we love the prophets. But he says, if they came today, you'd kill them again. <laughs> and the proof of that is, you're trying to kill me. So the Bible says, believe the prophet and prosper. doesn't say, there's a prophet in your land. Everybody's going to be prosperous. Everybody's going to be fine. It says, believe the prophet and prosper. It says, if you'll receive the prophet, if you'll receive the prophet, you'll get that reward. But if you don't, you have no part in it. So you have to learn that there are going to be people that God puts in your life that are very human, and you may have known who they used to be. You may have to get over the fact that they're younger, they're older. You may have to get over the fact that they're a different gender than you. You may have to get over the fact that they don't like the same kind of music that you do and get past it and say, God, who is this person supposed to be in my life? And I'm going to look past who they used to be. I'm going to look past who they seem to be, and I'm going to see who you made them to be. If I can accept it, I'm going to get more out of that, per that relationship if I can accept them for who God made them to be. Now, before we close up, let me qualify this and say this. Not everybody who says they are something is something. So if somebody comes to you and says, I'm a prophet, begins to prophesy to you, you don't have to accept them as a prophet. Somebody says to you, I'm an apostle, you need to listen to me. You don't have to accept them. The Bible says, it's not them that commend themselves but those that the Lord commends. So people that come along and try to pump themselves up to you so you'll listen to them, usually aren't worth anything. God will commend them. Remember Jesus said, wisdom is vindicated by your deeds. Look at the fruit and judge it. Listen to the Holy Spirit and see them that way. And there are going to be people that are supposed to be something in your life, but they're not there yet. Have the grace to let them get there. Thank God. I want you to be careful about this because, you know, some of us just say, well, all right, I guess I've been too harsh on people. I guess it's too judgmental. And you have, you know, wacky McFruity Flake come in your life and tell you <laughs> that, that you need to, to walk around City Hall seven times every day and then dump Cheerios on your head. And, and you know, and all these things, the walls will fall down. But that, that doesn't mean that they're from God. So you need to be able to say, okay, <laughs> God, I'm trusting you. You bring the right people into my life, I'll be able to look at their life and see fruit. I'll be able to sense right here, because you've got the Holy Spirit, there's a discerning spirit, right? Some people think that there's only one person in the church that's got discerning of spirits. That's wrong. If you've got the Holy Spirit, you can discern. You go, okay, that's not right. That is right. And you say, okay. But, but in order to do that, you have to go with an open heart and an open mind and say, okay, I'm going to forget about what they're like. I'm going to forget about personality for a minute. I'm going to forget about all these things that cloud my mind with prejudices. And I'm going to see them as God sees them. If I'll accept them as God says they are, I'm going to get something out of that. If you'll accept it, he's Elijah. What happens if you don't? you'll be the same, right? If you'll accept it, then his ministry would cause your children to turn their hearts to you and you to turn your hearts to them. But if you don't accept it, it won't change you. You'll go on with your nice little life. 
If you'll accept it, that he's Elijah, that means I am the Messiah. Not me, Jonathan, Jesus. When Jesus is saying this, if you'll accept he's Elijah, you can accept I'm the Christ. You realize if they had accepted he was the Christ, they would have been a lot further ahead. Thank God. Thank God that we let God define us and not ourselves and not other people. So here's what we're going to do as we close up. I want you to promise yourself and say it to God and say it to yourself that you're going to let Him change how you think about people. That you're going to choose and refuse not to look at people based on what you see, based on outward appearance. If a guy came up here and he was pierced all over, tattoos all over his face, mohawk, I want you to not dismiss everything he says just because that's not the way you address. Right? You judge it by the Spirit. A guy comes in here with Western clothes and, and a, a cane and, and you, know, you know, Coke bottle glasses and speaks in old country lingo. No matter how cool you think you are, I want you to receive something from him if he's come from God. Right? That's why we can get so much out of, I mean, I, this, is, this is why, you know, when Bob and Barbara Jenkins come, they may be older, but I love when they come. Because that may be not be the style of music I listen to when I'm at home, but when they minister to us in that, it's anointed. And it does something in me. And I need that. Now you may say, when that fresh eye came, I didn't like that style. Well, you need to get over the style and sense the Spirit. Yeah. Right? And all these things, judged by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Don't judge by what you see, how they're dressed. You know, James the book of James says, you give, you give a nicer seats, better seats, front row seats to people that are dressed nicer. He says, that's got to stop. He said, don't judge by what you see. Don't judge by what you know about them. Judge them by the Spirit of God. See them as God sees them. And be willing to shift your perceptions as they change and grow in the grace of God. Then we have enough grace to go around and say, I can accept you in this role in my life. My mom gets home and says, I learned a lot from that sermon today. And I go, wow, that's my mom. And she's getting something out of what I'm saying. That says a lot more about her than it does about me. Because she's had to say, I'm going to forget for a moment that I taught him everything he knows. I'm going to forget for a moment that he was a punk little kid who grew up. I'm going to just remember that it's not just Jonathan that's speaking. He's speaking from the Word of God, and, and there's a grace on his life to do this, so I'm going to receive from that. And I believe she's blessed because that. In the same sense, i got to receive her in the role that God's put her in and forget that she's just my mom and also say, well, there's something besides her being my mom. There's something that God's put on her, and I need to receive from that. Amen.